This is Elizabeth, your friendly Little Rock Certified Professional Dog Trainer, and I'm here to let you know that the year in review will actually be coming up in two weeks instead, as this week and next week is all about a brand new guest and her story on how she became a dog trainer and advice on puppies. Cassie B wasn't able to come back for her episode just yet, but I will have her on again when she can. So I decided to reach out to see if Juliana of JW Dog Training based in Washington, D.C. would be interested in coming on the podcast. I've been following her business for a while, and she has a great page filled with some really wonderful information. For this first episode, we discuss training and her journey towards DayW and the current growth of her business. For next week, we'll be delving into all things puppy. I've got some links in the description box, including her business information and Every Dog Austin, a nonprofit based in Texas, and Dog Latin Dog Training, where Juliana started her training journey. I also added information on alpha roles and dominance theory. I have some additional resources in the episode and podcast with Cassie B. But since then, I have found that the monks of Newski, who popularized the alpha role in the 1970s, have suggested in their 2002 book, The Dominance Move is Too Risky for the Average Pet Owner. And the scientist, Dr. David Metch, who first suggested the alpha behavior in the 1970s has also adjusted his original theory. And I've got links to both that and the alpha role Wikipedia page. In this episode, I bring up how a local trainer said that people just make stuff up in books and pet owners can too. And what I should have added at these theories were promoted with the information that was available at that time. Since then, Dr. Metch has learned more and adjusted considerations based on what we know now. And what we know now is that unrelated wolves may fight due to a lack of established relationships if thrown together, but this is not a normal occurrence in the wild. I've also linked an excellent article by Pat Miller, a crossover trainer who details where alpha and dominance theories come from and why they have increased in popularity. Now, here's Juliana. Welcome back to Telltale Dog, the podcast. I'm your host, certified dog trainer, Elizabeth Silverstein, and I have with me Juliana DeWilliams, the owner and head trainer at JW Dog Training and Behavior Consulting in the Washington, D.C. area. She is a certified professional dog trainer, Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner, certified behavior consultant canine, and a certified dog behavior consultant. So all of the things. Juliana is also the faculty member or a faculty member at Karen Pryor Academy, and she teaches the dog trainer professional program. Hi, Juliana. How are you? I'm great, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being on. I've been following you for a while. I'm not sure exactly how I found you originally, but I've been loving the things that you post. It's been so cool to see uh, what you're doing and how you're growing. And I, it almost seems like every week you're adding on another trainer basically to your business, which is really, really cool. So congrats on that. Thank you. Thank you. I know I'm so grateful for our little Instagram community that has connected us to just so many amazing colleagues, peers, friends, like 
it can be such a great place. Yes. Yes, it can be. Yes. We, we all know the dark side as <laughs> <Yes>. well. <laughs> can being the key word there. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's been so encouraging. I did not feel ready when I started my business. I was kind of thrown into that of having to start it and to be able to find such a wonderful community of people saying the things that I need to be true, but sometimes I doubt or question in myself has been so encouraging and has really helped me. So I, I appreciate that. And sometimes what I've noticed a little bit about trainers, and I'd love to get your input on this is sometimes I notice people will hold back information for whatever reason. And I just love what you're doing. And I try to do the same thing as like, here's, here's what I know. I'd love to learn from you. Please learn from me. Let's make it collaborative so we can grow together. Yeah. I think luckily in our community, we kind of have a mindset that a, a rising tide raises all ships, at least, you know, among the people that I like to surround myself by. Look, there are plenty of dog, there are plenty of pet parents out there who need our help. I think there's more than enough business to go around. And so I totally agree. The people that I've met on Instagram that have shared, whether it's about business or, you know, some of the training stuff that they've learned along the way and have shared with others, it's just, I'm so grateful that people are open about sharing. I think it helps us all. It really, really does. Well, I'd love to rewind back a bit. How long have you been a dog trainer? So I got certified through the Karen Pryor Academy back in 2014. I started training in 2013, but it was very like, um, I was just getting started. I really didn't know that much and obviously didn't have any official certifications, but I mean, so I guess that puts it at about seven or eight years now. Awesome. And where did your interest in an animal career begin? Was this your first career? Did you make a transition? It's so interesting hearing everybody's journeys to dog training because I think some of us, I don't like necessarily know if people as little kids, just like they want to be vets when they grow up or whatever, if they're like, I want to be a dog trainer. Uh, that certainly was not me. And so I went to school for animal science which is so interesting. I went to University of Maryland, which is a land grant school. So they have a big animal science program, but typically people do animal science because they want to do pre-vet. And I didn't do pre-vet, which meant I just got all the animal classes and none of the science classes, which really worked out for me. And what's really interesting is from there, I went to work at an animal shelter, but I worked in development and fundraising. So I was in the admin side of things. So when my fellow students from college would hear that I was working at an animal shelter, they would say, oh, you know, you went, you, you're following your path of animal science. I'm like, no, actually I'm doing something completely 180 because I wasn't working with animals at the time I was planning events. I was doing fundraising campaigns. And so I was not working with animals at all. But in working in a small nonprofit, as most animal shelters are, I worked very closely to the fostering department, like physically closely, like our desks were right next to each other. So I got a lot of, um, I would overhear about fosters and ultimately, of course, ended up fostering dogs on my own. And my young pit type uh, shelter dogs that I would foster ended up needing training. And so I think the one thing a lot of people have in common when they become trainers is there's always a dog or some dogs who are kind of challenging enough that the tips and tricks you pick up throughout your life or growing up with dogs or whatever, that maybe those things don't work quite as well or don't work anymore. And therefore you have to pursue learning more about training. 
And so luckily I got hooked up when I was fostering, I got hooked up with the behavior and training person at the shelter who she worked there as a like part-time consultant. And she had been through the Karen Pryor Academy and she was I, so wonderful. I thank her for my career because she really pulled me in and said, you're good at this. Come work for me and let's get you started training dogs. And that was really the beginning. I tried to do part-time dog training and part-time event planning. Well, full-time event planning, part-time dog training for about two more years. But by that point, I'd gone through the Karen Pryor Academy. I was working on my CPDT as well, and I just couldn't do both. And so I left development in the dust and uh, did dog training full-time, which was a great career move. So when you went to college for your animal science degree, what sparked that in you? When you were looking at the list of possible majors or thinking about a life path, why did you choose that? Well, I always loved animals. And so I thought that animal science would mean learning about and spending time with the fluffy animals that I loved growing up. But it turns out it's a lot more learning about uh, livestock and pasture management and um, things that I was not like particularly interested in long-term, I ended up having one companion animal class. And what's so interesting about that is in that class, which is so crazy to even think about, we actually learned about dominance theory, but like in a way where I know, so everyone, Elizabeth is making a face, which (laughs) knowing what I know now, I make that face too. I mean, we learned what I know now as stuff that was completely inaccurate and incorrect. So it's just so crazy that even at an academic level, we were not given correct information about animal behavior, learning, training, and dogs, obviously, which is where it's most relevant to us, but very interesting. Absolutely. And I do find it so fascinating that most veterinarians don't get a whole lot of training theory or behavior. It really does get separated out where you have your behaviorists and then you have your trainers. And I do have to be very gentle with talking with folks sometimes because their vet is giving them advice. And I'm like, oh, respect your vet, listen to your vet. But let's talk about that a little bit more um, because that might not be super helpful in the long term. And it sometimes, as you know, it can be very delicate to have those conversations and be respectful of everybody in the field because it's not regulated. There is no overseeing structure at all. And so there is a lot of information out there that can be very hard to sort through sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why I'm grateful I ended up on the right path because I think, well, on the scientifically factual path, which I feel like is the right path, but I just kind of think back to if my mentor had been, you know, a a dominance-based trainer or um, somebody who maybe uses methods that I don't think are the most effective or that can be harmful. And so I just, I think about kind of the alternatives, like what I have found the science of learning and the science of training if I hadn't gone down, down the path that I did. Yes. And it's really interesting. I had another trainer on who is called a crossover trainer and Mm -hmm. from going from those methods to what she uses now. And that was a really interesting journey to delve into as well. And it's been so fascinating to look, look at the details. And I hope to do some more digging into all of that because it is truly fascinating, the history and why people have the ideas that they have. No, I just think you're absolutely right that we bring in addition to the current knowledge that we, we know now things that come across your path as you're building your career, as you're pursuing a career, what you, what resonates with you and what you find familiar and feels right to you is all going to be based in 
your upbringing and your current belief system. And there's just a lot more, unfortunately, than what is, can be presented directly in front of someone. Yeah. The parallels between the human world and the dog world is so fascinating. And I, I love delving into all of that. And I've appreciated how you've taken some of those stances on your Instagram as well, um, because that can be very challenging to do. Cause I know a lot of trainers talk about like, well, I, I deal with dogs. No, we deal with people. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. We really deal with people. Dogs are a great addition, but the core of being a trainer is that we have to be really good at standing up for people and talking to people and working with people. And if you can't, being a trainer is very, very challenging. Absolutely. And you're totally right. I mean, we hear it in any animal field, whether it's animal sheltering or veterinary or dog training. Oh, I love animals. That's why I pursued this field. Well, I'm very sorry to break it to you, but you're going to have a really hard time in whatever field that is, unless you're working in the back end of a shelter or a facility where you don't, you're not human facing that's then otherwise you're always going to be coming across the other end of the leash. And that half of the equation is just as important, if not more important than the dog that we're working with and the dog whose behavior we're trying to change. And that can be, it can be tricky, but it's also can be really beautiful. And I love seeing the growth in those partnerships, human and dog, and seeing them grow together and like seeing them both get it and be excited about it. It's one of the best parts of the job. So reinforcing for, for us as the trainers, I think seeing that change, you're absolutely right. Yes. Especially in a field where people think like working at a doggy daycare or being a trainer is just cuddling puppies all day. And it's like, it's, it's so much harder than that. And I can't even begin to explain to people how challenging this field is, but also how completely rewarding it is as well. Oh, I completely agree with you. And I think that's another reason why our online community has been so kind of imperative for me. And for a lot of us is that this work, you're absolutely right. There's a misconception that all we do is show up and play with puppies or, oh, you're a dog trainer. That must be so fun. And of course it's fun. And it comes with a lot of great moments, but there's a lot of challenges working with people, working in an unregulated field, working with really challenging, potentially dangerous behavior issues. There's a lot of emotional energy that comes with this job. It really, really does. So to swing it back the other way around. So you started your business in 2014. And how did you come up with JW dog training? So I actually started, I worked with somebody else for six years, that person that I met at the animal shelter. So I actually didn't start JW until last year, 2020. Oh, I know that's when I started my business. (laughs) Everyone with the, with the pandemic puppies, who knew a pandemic would be such a good time to start a dog training business. But I got really lucky that that mentor who picked me up from the animal shelter she again was the one who kind of recruited me and said, come work for me. And so I worked with her business, dog Latin dog training in Washington, DC for six years. And I was so lucky to have that experience and to be under the guidance of someone, an incredible trainer who was really doing it right. And I learned a lot without having the stress of my own business, which I think there are pros and cons to both being an independent contractor for somebody else versus running your own business, there are absolutely pros and cons to both. And it, I mean, six years is a long time to work under someone else. And it came a point where I was ready to just start my own thing, but I was really lucky that for a big chunk of time and especially starting my career, I didn't have to worry about where are clients going to come from? How am I going to build my reputation? How am I going to build leads? That type of thing. 
And so you only started your business a year ago. Well, first off, where did JW come from or how did you choose that name? So it's the W in DeWillems and my first name. So Juliana W in DeWillems. Nice. And I just like the ring of JW. Yeah. It's nice and succinct. And so you, you've only been in business for about a year and already you have a team of how many people? So we just brought on our fourth, how many, Miranda, Cynthia, Kaylee, fourth, yeah, fourth. And I'm bringing on a fifth in June as well. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky in the DC area. I mean, as with everywhere, but business is booming, you know, we're unfortunate. Well, fortunately and unfortunately people are really (laughs) having challenges with their pandemic puppies right now, whether it's getting adjusting back to going to real life or their puppies hitting that really challenging adolescent phase or their rescue dog has really settled in and now new challenges are coming up. I mean, there's a lot that is driving business right now, you know? So again, it's, we're, we're very lucky. It was a very good time to start a business in, uh, in 2020. With building it, do you have certain values that drive your business for how you look for clients and how you bring on a new trainer to your team? That is such a great question. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's been so interesting being on the business side of things. You think like, oh, starting a business, you'll just take whoever wants to work with you, whoever will like pay you money, right? Like you're, you're in the business of making money and keeping your business running. And so if a person comes along who wants to theoretically work with you, like, sure, great. But what you start to realize is that you actually do want to be really kind of picky about your client base. So for us and for me, absolutely. I mean, we want to really work with people who are bought into the way that we train, which is positive reinforcement based. We're not using aversives. We're not using force. And we are more than happy to educate our clients and tell them, you know, answer their questions. But I am at the point in my career where I'm not going to fight somebody on how I'm going to train their dog or how we are going to train their dog together. If my program and the way that we work is not going to work for you after I share a little bit about why we do it this way and not that way, then you are not the right fit for us. And so from a client perspective, that's extremely important to me. One, to really keep my trainers from burning out because I know that clients like that can be extremely challenging and, and really wear on you. And also for my own mental health and just for our business, you know, we, we are thrilled to work with people who are thrilled to work with us. And so we've, that's been definitely a learning lesson. And that's where like, I kind of figured that out when I was working for someone else. So I'm lucky I didn't have to do that trial and error and find that out the hard way with my own business as much. It does vary on the area that you're in. And that's, that's a, sorry, excuse me, my dog, I'm going to shake up. That's what I had to learn as well. Uh, I used to, like you were saying like, oh, great. You want to work with me? Fantastic. Mm -hmm. But when you, and education is an important part of my business, but I live in an area where different methodologies are super common and I'm only one of a handful that trains the way that I do. So if people aren't on board, it's only going to be frustrating for me and for them to continue to work together. And there are enough trainers, like you said, there's enough business for everybody. There are enough trainers that if people come with a preconceived notion of how they want to train, it's not worth either of our time 
for us to have that conversation anymore if you've already come with that idea. And I've noticed, so whenever I'm recommended and I have a chance to respond on social media, I'm going to give my spiel and my information because I'm not there for the people that are already on board or who are already like on the complete other side. I'm there for the people on the fringes. So I'd love to collect the people that are completely on board already, but I'm also there to help the people on fringes and help guide them to, to the, the information that's helpful for them. And once you realize that it's so much easier to market yourself and connect with people and not worry so much because we can't force people to do anything. People have to make the right choice for them and their dog because their dog is their responsibility. Absolutely. And I think it, like you said, it just makes everyone happier, but especially in like we just talked about the emotional toll of being a trainer, even when your clients are on board and you know, they are super thrilled to work with you, then that's just one little box. The rest of the boxes can also still be extremely challenging. So let's make our life easier where we can. And, you know, you bring up such a good point. I'm in the Washington DC area. We're very progressive. People here love science. People here are super open to doing things like the most kind of up-to-date way. And so we don't have to have those battles very much as much as I can imagine people in other areas. So we're, I'm really lucky in that sense. Yeah. It is fascinating to see how different pockets of the U S deal with training mm-hmm. and they bring to the table. And I have to have a lot of conversations about treats here because people don't want to use a reinforcer. I'm like, why should your dog care about what you think? That's where we're lucky that we have the education and all the background and the certifications, because we can have those conversations and we can come from I feel like when you have the data and you have the information, you can come from a non-emotional place and you can just say, well, here's what we know. Here are the facts. Some of this, some of this might be peppered with my opinion, but in general, this is just the facts, you know? And so people can kind of take it or leave it. Absolutely. Yeah. And if they decide to move on, that's fine. I kind of view picking a trainer is also kind of picking almost like a massage therapist or someone, you know, you want to, you want to look for someone who fits your personality, who has, you know, who shares a similar, similar idea of training and all that. And they might be on board with your methods, but they're like, "Eh, I don't, we don't really click, you know, and I'm like, that's fine. We don't, it's okay. Yeah. You're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. I can't as a people pleaser, that absolutely destroys me to hear, but (laughs) I'll add another thing that as every year that goes by, I am embracing that more and more. Yes. I, I make, I turn it into a joke. I'm like, Hey, I'm not offended. If you don't want to continue with me after our consultation, my feelings won't be hurt. And then it did happen. I was like, all right, my feelings will be hurt a little bit, but I understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can pretend like I don't care, but I might care. <laughs> yes, yes, well, that's the aspect of it. So are you originally from the DC area? Is that where you learned how to train and all that good stuff? I am. And so everything that I've done here has been in the DC area in one way or the other. So like the shelter that I worked at right out of college where I met my mentor was right in Maryland. And that's the nice thing about the DC areas. We have access to DC, Maryland and Virginia in our little pocket here. So like my service area for many years was parts of Maryland and DC. And then I moved out to Virginia, which is right across the river from DC. So then I was Virginia and DC. Now I'm mostly Virginia. So, but we've got a lot of access to a lot of dogs and people here. And I got really lucky. The Karen Pryor Academy, where I had my first 
kind of educational course, they have both a regional and a national and a world format. So pretty much wherever you are, you can find a course relatively close to you. So, but I had one right here in the DC area and that's where I got a lot of my formal education. So you have mm, one, two, three, four, five certifications. I think four. Four. I, I can't keep track anymore. I think okay. Four. Yes. You have a bunch. Yes. Four. Okay. So you have four and there are plenty of trainers who don't train with a certification or any sort of process at all. Like we've, we've touched on our industry is unregulated. It was important for me to get at least one. And now I'm looking at yours and I'm like, Hmm, maybe I need a few more. Um, but why was that important for you to be certified and not only be certified, but get multiple certifications? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that because there's a really interesting phenomenon, I think, in the positive reinforcement community specifically, where we kind of try to overcompensate with credentials, basically, because there are people out there who have no formal education and have not gone through the process of earning certifications. And the thing about certifications is they're not if they're not going to um, automatically mean that somebody's a good trainer, but they mean that your knowledge has been tested. And it means that you have done some level of proving that you know facts about dogs, dog training, and dog behavior. And again, I say facts because we have a lot of science to back up why we train the way that we do. Not only is it testing or these certifications testing your knowledge, but there's ethics that come with it, which I think is so important. Yes, often, and I did this before I was a dog trainer with my dog, that I was like, well, I know what the issue is. and I know why I just need help managing it. And I'll hear that from owners as well. And one thing I realized becoming a dog trainer is that some, a lot of times what we think we see as a dog owner is not actually what's actually happening, especially in the context of our limited knowledge. And the most humbling thing I ever experienced was when I became a dog trainer and my mentor telling me maybe when I very confidently was like, it must be this. Right. And she's like, maybe mm -hmm. we don't, we're not sure. And maybe it could be, maybe not the reason why isn't as important in the moment as managing the behavior right now. And if we need to figure out a cause we can, but at the moment we just need to manage the behavior. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> another, another sentiment I really like is that there's no such thing as always and never in yes. dog training. Yep. And it's like, oh yeah, pretty much everything is a maybe or an, it depends or a sometimes. Yes. You know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And we have to be comfortable in that unknown. And I think, and we have to help dog owners be comfortable in that unknown sometimes too, of like, all right, I, maybe your dog was abused. Maybe not. We just know when you lift your hand, your dog's terrified. So let's work with that at least. Totally. And admitting with, as a dog trainer, when we don't know too, mm -hmm. I think that's yeah, so yeah. critical that we're able to be humble in our knowledge and admit when we need to ask someone else or we're not sure. Yep. And I'm, I will refer out. I'm like, if I can't help you and I need to refer you to someone who I think is a better fit, I will do that because what's more important than me feeling like I know have all the answers is you getting the help you need. And you have to be humble enough. It is kind of bizarre to look at dog training as a spiritual, emotional experience, but it is. And we can't be cult leaders in that field. We have to be, you know, experts, not cult leaders. That's such a good way to put it. <laughs> again, the positive reinforcement community credentials are important to us because knowledge and, and thorough understanding of the science and all of the data and the research that we have on dogs and learning and behavior 
that's important to us. And we know that credentials and certifications reflect that. As I said before, they don't automatically mean you're a good trainer, but it means you have at least a decent knowledge of what you're saying, you know, you know, and I think that's what is, can be frustrating is that people might think or might say that they know about training or behavior, but they actually have a pretty big knowledge gap that either they're not willing to explore or they don't even know that they have to explore. And let me tell you, when you sit down and look over the objectives for some of these certifications and the, the, what you're going to be tested on and you think, oh, you know, it's just like whatever a, a dog training test, like and you sit down and you look at these and you're like, oh, this is really, I really got to know my stuff. And so for me, it's like, if I can get the certification and, and kind of prove that I have this basis of knowledge and prove that I'm going to hold myself accountable with an organization that will ask me for continuing education credits. And that will ask me to sign an ethics pledge. Why wouldn't I do that? Mm -hmm. And that's where like, I get a little bit frustrated at these other, at when there's the argument of like, oh, well, just because you're not certified doesn't mean you're a good trainer. And while I completely agree with that, then I'm like, if you're a good trainer who knows what they're doing, why wouldn't you just do the industry a favor and get certified so that we're all proving or we're all reinforcing the importance of knowing the hard facts and information that we know about learning behavior and dog training. Yes. And that's such a good point. And one of the things I'm, I'm hearing from the trainer, I'm currently taking a class with, he's like, people just make stuff up in books. So you guys can all just make stuff up too. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that's not how this works. Some people do make stuff up. We do know that some of the, the things that have been debunked or um, they take it back. I, I believe I, I thought I saw online, like the monks of new ski recanted some of what they had said in their book. Wow. Um, Yes, I believe I have to do some more research on that, but that did come up on the the Wikipedia when I was looking up dominance theory and the guy who came up with the alpha theory anyways, recanted his theory too. So it does happen that people do make stuff up based on their experiences and what they think they see in dogs and then they learn more and then change it. Yes, sometimes people do make stuff up, but that's why I believe certifications are so important so that people aren't just spreading nonsense in a cute little marketing PR package and people eat it up because it does fit with their confirmation bias and what they believe should be true about dogs instead of what is actually true about dogs. Absolutely. And I like we were talking about before, everyone brings their own uh, experiences and values and current knowledge to the table. And so you're absolutely right. If somebody says something that resonates with you and they say, you know, you have to correct the dog when they do something wrong and you have to reward them when they do something good to a lot of us, that makes perfect sense. There's a lot of having balance in life is something that we hear a lot that we want to strive for, but until you understand kind of the science behind why feeding from one hand and correcting from the other, you know, figuratively, why that can be problematic and damaging in the learning process. Until you know that next set of information, you're not going to realize the problem with a statement like that. And the problem with that is that the general public does not have that understanding. And so when the professionals, quote unquote professionals are out here kind of sharing a particular set of information that actually isn't backed up by what we know to be true based on science and research, it can be really damaging to the public and to the dogs out there. 
Yes. And you, you said something that was really interesting that I wanted to touch on and correct me if you didn't say it quite like this, but the information and the learning is just one aspect of it. You said just because you have a certification doesn't make you a good tra dog trainer. It is so important to get your hands on so many, so many dogs and to learn from that experience. You can have all the book knowledge and understanding in the world, but unless you actually can do it, it's really not going to help you that much. And I think that's a crucial aspect of dog training that we don't talk about as much as we should of just how much you can bring to the table once you've handled hundreds, if not thousands of different breeds, sizes, all of that with your training. But I think we also have to be careful the other direction where somebody has 30 years of experience, but has never opened a book. That experience alone is not enough. And I'm not a crossover trainer. I'm lucky that I've only ever learned using positive or I've only ever like um, used positive reinforcement, but that's not to say I don't have a thorough understanding about how and why punishment works, but where I have used a pretty decent amount of punishment was my life growing up with horses. So I rode horses six or seven days a week for 15 years. I was competitive. I would consider myself an advanced horseman. I horseman, equine, equestrian. Thank you. Um, and look, I'm an expert, but I can't remember the word equestrian. Um, Listen, we'd already talked about my pronunciation problem <laughs> It's <is> fine. <laughs> but what I'm realizing is what I thought I was seeing from these horses and what I thought I was teaching these horses, it was not what was happening. Like the story that I was telling myself is what I was seeing. But what I know now is my horse was responding to pressure. My horse was avoiding me. My horse was trying to do what it needed to do to be safe. And not to mention that for 15 years, I handled horses and I thought I was an expert and I did not know one single horse stress signal or body language signal, you know, so it's right. And, and actually it's a really painful journey now, as I know, learn, learn more about behavior, looking back one on what I used to do and two missing that world, but knowing I could never go back the way that I did, because I know now why the things were happening. It wasn't because I was communicating with my horse. It was because my horse was scared of me in that moment. And so it's just like, we have to be able to step back and say, I might actually have holes in my knowledge here. I might actually not know as much as I think I know here. In fact, what questions can I ask here? Even though I think I know a lot, where do I have the space to learn? What can I learn here? Because it's when you stop thinking that you have more to learn or you stop asking questions where that just does everyone a disservice. 100%. And I totally agree with that. And I think the more you do make an effort to learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. And that's super important to think about when you're in the trainer space and, and interviewing trainers, how confident are they? They should be confident in what they know, but they should also be confident enough to let you know when they don't know too. And if they claim to have all the answers, that's a huge red flag, as we know. Totally agree. It has to be both and it has to be a good balance of both. Definitely. And I mean, the good news here is that while there's a lot of stuff that it feels like we're saying, you know, like don't do or be careful about doing, there's so many things out there that can lead to a beautiful and rich and um, safe for people and dogs and good for people and dogs training career. There's so many education opportunities, certification opportunities, um, training schools. There's so much good stuff out there. If somebody is looking or wanting to become a dog trainer or make themselves a better dog trainer, you know, there've never been more opportunities than there are right now. 
100%. Yes. And it is, it is a booming industry. Like you mentioned, there's enough work for everybody. There's, um, there's ways to get it done. And if you're passionate about it, you do have to be passionate about it because this is not an easy job. It's the most exhausting career I've ever had. It's not easy, mm-hmm. but it is really rewarding. And there is enough work to go around, which I love. Totally. Well, what are some of your goals moving forward for your business? Ooh. Oh my gosh. I have so many goals. I, one, it's to just spread as much good information as we can. I mean, that's like kind of a more of a um, values thing or a, uh, what is that mission statement type thing? I really want to grow JW both in this area and beyond. What's really great about virtual training is we have a trainer who, lives in Austin, Texas, and she still works for us. And she is able to help JW clients virtually. I want to grow every dog Austin or is that? Yeah. 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 Miranda has every dog Austin or a nonprofit in Austin and they're doing great work. Mm -hmm. And so I want to grow the business that direction, like with just with more trainers, more feet on the ground, good, positive reinforcement training out in the world. I want to be able to provide different types of training. So right now we just do private training, but I definitely want to try to develop some type of e-course or kind of online learning that people can do at their own pace that my trainers don't necessarily, me and my trainers don't necessarily need to spend our time, you know, that one-to-one client time, because there comes a point in a business where there are only so many hours where you can be helping people one-to-one. So these are kind of some things that I've been thinking about as I have my own business and it's growing very quickly, like, does it have to look like the traditional dog trainer business that we've always seen? Or like, what are, what are some things I can do differently? So I'm kind of in a noodling over that phase right now and seeing, seeing where it takes me. That kind of involves some creativity. Is that, Mm -hmm. do you consider yourself a creative person? Is that something you've had to work on or do you have ideas all the time? Wow. Such a good question. I would not traditionally consider myself a creative person. Creativity to me feels like I should be like creating, like painting pictures and creating art. Like, but you're right. I mean, I forget that creativity is other things. So I do actually, now that I'm starting my own business has been a really wonderful opportunity and kind of coming into my own and realizing that I can take ownership and do things the way that I want. And in that context, yeah, I do think I have been creative in the way that I'm building my business and moving forward. So yeah, I think, I think I am creative. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> uh, so my, my career before I was a writer, I love to, to draw and being able to think outside of the box is super creative. And when you can, those elements are amazing and wonderful to have those things. But yeah, creativity is just looking at the world and going, how can I do this a little differently? Or what can I bring to the table? That's all it is for the way I I look at it anyways. And it is so nice owning your own business and being able to do it the way that you want to do it Mm -hmm. and see it pay off or you know, you make a oopsie and you correct, you know, it's like, totally. that's why I love our methods too. You make a little oopsie. You didn't ruin your relationship with your dog. You can just start over and correct. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you do make a big oopsie, there's plenty of ways to start over and help your dog um, get past that too. And, and, and build from there. So yes, I love that. Well, I think that was all the questions I had. What are you working on that you'd like to promote? Now that I've announced that hopefully maybe JW dog training will be 
providing different types of training in the future. It won't be anytime soon, but definitely just watch the social media platforms. I mean, I'm very active on Instagram, JW dog training. There's always going to be fun stuff happening there. And then if anything for not, if when I come up with fun things in the future, they will be there. And uh, so, yeah, I think just follow us on social because that's going to be the best place to see what's going on with JW. And is there anything you'd like to add? Just that we need more kind, thorough, wonderful people in the training space. So if you're interested in being a dog trainer, come on, come on in. Let's, we'd, we'd love to have you. We'd love to teach you. And there's always more room for more kind-hearted, empathetic people in dog training. Absolutely. And I might just be speaking for myself, but I love when people ask me about how to become a dog trainer. I'm always happy to, you know, give resources or point you on your way. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Sorry, I've got some noises. I've got two little dogs. You have a little dog too, right? Yeah. (laughs) She's snoozing. I don't know where she is right now. Mine are being a little active, but I do, I I like having little dogs and I appreciate you talking about your little dog because they're actually harder to train than big dogs. And I think it's a measure of a good trainer who can handle and train and help people train their little dogs. Actually, I think they need it more than big dogs, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, they do not get enough understanding and credit. I would say the little, the little, some we're big littles fan over here. Yes. Same. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and do the sign off and I have a question for you after. So everyone listening, stick around for some final advice from Juliana. This has been Telltale Dog, the podcast with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein, certified dog trainer in central Arkansas. And my guest today, Juliana DeWilliams. Music has been provided by Jim Chiaco of 7 Second Chance. Find more of his work on iTunes and Spotify and stick around for After the Music to hear that final advice from Juliana. Juliana. If you were talking to someone who would like to become a dog trainer, what would you tell them as they're starting off and they're considering, or maybe starting to make some choices? I would say, find yourself a qualified certified trainer to be your mentor, learn from them, get as many hours observing training and practicing training under the guidance of someone else. Find yourself a good positive reinforcement training school, get as much time and education under your belt as you can and go from there.